Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to Fire in the Belly. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we're joined by Mindy Gibbons-Klein. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning. How are you? <laughs> Wonderful. Doing mighty well. Listen, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's an absolute pleasure. So tell us, Mindy, who are you? What are you doing? Where are you from? Okay. Oh, where I'm from. Yeah. Because <laughs> people will start to notice. I was born in New York and uh, went and lived in Argentina, did my university in Canada, and I've been in the UK for 29 years. So I don't know where I'm from, <laughs> all those places. Um, what do I do? Well, I try to help people feel fulfilled by helping them get their message out, uh, usually in the form of a book in print, but also building a platform, a profile, and uh, speaking. So it's, it's, you know, we call it thoughtful leadership. That's, um, you know, you can see here, that's my latest book. And um, yes, I've written a few books, nine in fact, and I'm known for helping other people um, do their books through the book Midwife and Panoma Press, my publishing company, uh, but it's all about getting a message across. Hope that makes sense. Absolutely. So give us give us a rundown of the nine books. So <laughs> I'm going to lose count. Actually, I know the ones that I've authored, and then there's the ones I've co-authored. Um, but you can see two right here. Mm -hmm. So um, Twenty Book Carrot Bold was my first book about thought leadership. Uh, the thoughtful leader is kind of like thought leadership 2.0. Uh, my first book was uh, a Dance in the Desert, which was a tribute to a friend of mine. Big long story that I sometimes tell, and you never know, we might talk about it later, but a friend of mine who um, is no longer with us and the struggles that he had with epilepsy. And um, that really launched my career because back then in 2001, uh, writing a book was not such a public, you know, popular thing. I mean, something a lot of people wanted to do, but it wasn't so easy to publish and you know, lots of other challenges. So I did that. I wrote another book with a colleague called Your Book in 100 Days, uh, but I'm redoing it um, to make it a little bit more modern and talk about you know, social media a bit more. And um, I've co-authored five books. Um, I've edited a book about professional speaking. I've edited a book about being an entrepreneur um, and collaborated on uh, three other global books. Wow. So, yeah, you've been kind of busy, right? Yeah. I mean, that's 19 years worth. But still, um, you know, I, I want to get that 10th book done because 10 seems like a really good number. But uh, I'm busy now with other people's books. <laughs> but it's always that thing, right? You'll get to 10 and then you're like, well, 12 sounds like a good number. We're uh, <laughs> aiming for 100. <laughs> it's, oh, not, it's not quantity, it's quality, right? Mm, so sure. Yeah. Let's start with the basics then. Why, why write a book? <laughs> well, if you have... A story or a message if, you, if you've done something or had something happen to you and you really want to share it mm -hmm. a lot of people think oh, I'd like to write a book and I it is great um, if it's done with the right intention if it's done with the right amount of professionalism you know I, I look 
I'm the one who coined the phrase, every book deserves to be written. And then when I started the publishing company, I changed it to every book deserves to be written and published. Not a lot of people agree with that because they see people putting things together and you know, amateurish or self-publishing. And, and so they think, oh, right, that book doesn't deserve to be out there. No, it, it's someone's personal story, their take on the world, their, their you know, expertise, those kind of books that we work with, or you know, fiction, which I don't work with, but you know, how could someone else stop you writing something if you feel the need to express? So it's complicated. You know, I'm not here to, to judge or play God or anything like that. I just, if somebody really wants to do it and it's not happening, which is most people, then we step in with one of our brands and uh, help make sure they get the clarity and the confidence and they do it and they do it fast and they're happy with the result. That's an interesting point. Is, is fast, is that key? Is that... Well, the books that we do, you know, think about it, a thought-leading book is leading edge, cutting edge. Mm. So if you mess about or do what most people do and take two and a half years to just get it written and then the publishing time and the window might have closed or things might have changed. I mean, you know, that, who expected this that we're going through today as we speak? Um, and, you know, so to be relevant you want to get it done quite fast, but also to maximize the, what we call the ROI. Well, we don't, <laughs> we're not the only ones that call it that, the return on the investment. Um, the investment of time and effort and money, you want to start recouping that fast, I think, because I work mostly with entrepreneurs and business professionals. So it's not just like, oh, you know, this is a fun thing to do. The book is really important to them for their profile. So, you know, that's why they want to do it fast. Otherwise, they don't benefit for a long time. Mm. No, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I'll tell you, just out of interest, is this, a, is this a good time for books? I mean, obviously, we... It's always, um... it's always a good time. Okay. There's no bad time to write it. There are a couple of, well, generally, traditionally, there's a couple of bad months to publish a book. August and December were always you know, people were away and, you know, but this year is a bit different. We published books in August and we're publishing quite a few in December because we don't think everybody will be away and as busy as they normally are. And, you know, so um, it's not really about that. It's about the right time for, for you. If you're an aspiring author, what's the right time for you to launch yourself into the market as an expert in your field Hmm. Um, that, that's, you know, as I say, that's a priority for us is launching that person and their profile. Hmm. Oh, wow. Take us right back. And what, what, what is, you know, what's your fire in the belly then? You know, what does it mean to you? For me, it is about expressing something that's inside, not keeping it inside. Some people quote, I don't even know who said it. I think a lot of people say, you know, don't die with the song still in you. I would say don't die with the book or the story still in you or the message. Um, 24 Karat Bold, as you know, we were talking about, was the first time that I was very bold and encouraged other people to be bold. And the phrase back then was be bold and opinionated yet respectful. And that hasn't changed. So Normally, I mean, we're, we're in the UK, right? So we're a little bit more reserved. Um, I suppose in Ireland, you know, you're a little bit more bold, but you know, a lot of people hold back saying that thing they really want to say, because it's like, oh, you know, 
hesitate what someone gonna think and you know a lot of too much thinking and not enough boldness <laughs> so but it's not boldness for the sake of it it's not rudeness it's 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 not you know never um, disrespecting someone else's view or someone else's you know as a person so I think that's the key thing if you feel you know I want to help other people who have a fire in the belly and just just help them fulfill that dream that is possible show them it's possible show them how to do it and help them do it um, and it's so so rewarding more rewarding than writing my own books because that was just like okay I want to write this next book and and but helping someone else to express themselves you know that, that like you do right we're, we're in the you know helping other people feel better do more you know it, it's it's lovely isn't it no, absolutely. And are you are you clear why you wrote your original book? I mean, and oh, yeah, why you do what you do? You want me to tell you the story, and shall I, you know, tell the listeners about? Okay, sure. Uh, I'll give you the condensed version. Um, thir nearly thirty years ago, I'm trying, I can't remember when it all started, but I was living in the states still, and so it was more than thirty years ago. Uh, a friend of mine who I worked with. He fell down a flight of stairs at a client site and he hit his head at the bottom um, of the stairs. He didn't die. Uh, he had uh, multiple seizures and so was diagnosed with epilepsy. So I didn't know anything about epilepsy back then. Uh, most of the people we knew didn't know anything. And it was kind of like a stigma. You just picture these, these you know, out of control seizures and it's very scary. I um, didn't really know how to help him. And he was the kind of person who would say, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. And, you know, just big smile on the face. And, and we were in our 20s. So, you know, you're not that mature and you just think, oh, I don't know what to do or say. Anyway, to make a very long story short, he had a seizure at work. Um, they managed to uh, lay him off. And he had... Uh, complications from medications it didn't control the seizures it made him depressed and he took his own life at age 27 so I was also I was nearly 27 and I really didn't cope with that very well I went through all the stages of guilt and, and grief and anger and this and that um, but it was around the time that I was moving to the UK so I focused on that and packed my bags and my bike and came over here. But then it was there. I mean, you, you can't push something like that under the rug. Um, and I was at a retreat in um, somewhere near Norwich or Ipswich. And it was just quiet. And I, you know, I'd let go of everything else. And I just got this vision and, you know, tears streaming down my face. And I really, really wanted to tell his story. Because you know what people were saying? Oh, it's a sin to take your life. Um, you know, some people with, with they come from that belief system, and but I just felt so angry that he wasn't here to explain. And I thought, you know, you have no idea what he was going through. So I, I made the commitment at that retreat, and um, I managed to get the whole book written in about a year. But <laughs> then I had challenges to. Um, get a publisher because back then it wasn't so easy this was you know bef before the millennium and it went on and it went on and it went on and you know I'd send it out I'd get rejections uh, that wouldn't 
make me less determined and less confident to the point where I, I very nearly gave up. And then my sister said, look, there's this company. It's kind of like self-publishing, you know, you have to pay. But if you want to see the book in print. And so I said, yeah, I really do. Because um, the millennium had come and gone. I'm like, oh my God, yeah, we're in another decade and century and millennium now. And the book still not in print and the message is still not getting out there. And I wanted to give money to the epilepsy charities. Anyway, I just did it. I just grabbed the bull by the horns and I said, I have to get this book in print. And we did. And then I joined forces with the epilepsy charity here in the UK, Epilepsy Action. I uh, studied and became an accredited volunteer. I did talks for them. I got you know, involved in the charity. I gave proceeds from the book to charity. I felt good that things were happening. So that was the start. I thought that would just be it. I had just gone self-employed. This was 2001 was a crazy time because I uh, had my own coaching business. I had my own marketing consultancy and I had a new book. And I started, you know, going out to networking meetings and saying, well, I have two companies, you know, coaching and marketing and I have this book. And all people cared about was the book. But I'll stop there because <laughs> that's where the book Midwife was born, um, so to speak. But, you know, that book, was, if I hadn't done it and seen it all the way through, and by the way, by the time it was published, it was 10 years nearly to the day from when I decided to write it. And that's too long that, that you know, that it wasn't out there helping people. Was the book, do you think, for you or was the book for your friend or what was your sort of take with it? I mean, it sounds like it was almost that long gestation period. Well, it didn't need to be that long. I mean, the, the, the thing that took the longest, so the first year, I mean, the book was done, but then I had all these so-called experts saying, oh, you need to add a bit of this or change that. or And I listened to them all, I'd change it and I'd get another rejection. And, you know, so, but the, the thing that was always there was I wanted to tell this story um, I love writing. I always have done. Come from a family of writers, um, not <laughs> well-known, successful. Well, they're successful in that they wrote, but not recognized in world household names or anything. But I, I enjoyed the writing, but I wanted to tell that story. And I thought it was important as a tribute to my friend, as I've said, and to help other people understand a bit more about epilepsy. Because um, when I first met with somebody from the Epilepsy Research Foundation. She said, yeah, it's more common than you would think that people get, you know, so upset and depressed and they think there's no other way and they, and they commit suicide. And I thought, yeah, this, this is not right. I feel I need to do something. I can't bring my friend back, but I could, you know, I could help someone else. So that was really at the heart of it. Wow. So thank you for sharing that. I mean, that's, you know, I can see why, you know, it's obviously had a profound effect on you. Yeah. So tell me what, what triggered the move from, from New York to the UK? There was a number of things. I had been trying to make a career move. Um, I was getting divorced. Or I was already divorced, in fact. So I was kind of free, if you want to call it that. Um, I had rented out my house, sold my stuff. I just I want, I was going to move to either New York or London. And London seemed more exciting and closer to Europe. Well, it is closer to Europe. Uh, and I just thought it would be much more interesting. And a crazy boyfriend of mine said he was moving here. So I went, okay, 
yeah, I didn't give it that much thought. I didn't know how long I'd stay. I, I think sometimes, you know, I'm a good planner, but sometimes when you're impulsive, you know, it's, it's exciting. It's a different kind of fire in the belly, like the unknown. <laughs> but that's how I arrived at the decision, and that's how I arrived here and managed to stay. Next month, it'll be 29 years. Wow, awesome. <laughs> yeah. So take us take us all the way back then. So Mini Monday, who who are we meeting? You mean personally, professionally? Yeah, junior junior you, right right back to born and siblings and and where you grew up. So I I do have um, three sisters. I have um, my mom's still here and a good role model. She's uh, she's worked for herself for forty five years as a realtor estate mm-hmm. agent. Um, I've got uh, lots of cousins and nephews and nieces, quite a big family, but mostly back in the States. And um, I, I am very high energy and this is me like controlling it. Um, <laughs> you really don't want to see me bouncing off the walls. Um, but uh, I think it's great because I bring that energy to everything I do every day, my clients, my family, my, you know, I don't know if anybody would call me a boring person, <laughs> hopefully not, but you know, I'm, I'm quite determined, you know, when I decided I'd moved to the UK, I did it when I just set up companies, you know, I've been serious about it. When I had a company, one of my companies was in trouble. I fixed it. Um, and I, I, I'm not one for making excuses. So, you know, I like to bring a smile, a bit of positive energy, to every situation. I think, you know, I'm, I've been blessed with a really nice childhood with, you know, I wasn't uh, wanting anything. Um, and I think some good role models, as I say, mom, dad, and his writing, and um, lots of lots of opportunities. You know, we, we, I was living in the States, but you know, we traveled and we met people from different countries and so that kind of opened my mind about things and i think that's you know another aspect that i've managed to keep um there's lots of places i haven't gone lots of things i haven't done but just you wait <laughs> mm. so what i mean i don't know seven-year-old mindy who, who would we have met what sort of character were you um, I was writing my little stories. <laughs> so even at that point, you were, you were writing? Oh, them. yeah. I think, well, I started reading at the age of three, thanks to my dad. Wow. And then, um, yeah, I was, when the other kids were learning to read, I was writing things and the teacher used to staple them together and let me read them to the class. And possibly the other children weren't as impressed as I was with <laughs> the teacher. But I, you know, I was encouraged to do that. And... I was, I was a shy child. So, you know, I had plenty of energy and I loved friends, but I was never like life of the party or anything like that. I'm still not. I, I still, you know, I'm very picky. I have small circles of friends, um, lots of contacts, lots of time for everybody, but I don't like partying for the sake of it or anything like that. So that's, that stayed with me the whole time. When I went to university, um, I wanted to finish early and get married, and but you know that was um, <laughs> my practice marriage, uh, which didn't work out the way I thought it would. But I was determined, and I did a four-year degree in three years because I just wanted to finish. So I guess quite you know quite determined and serious. Um, 
and ambitious or whatever, but, but not, not crazy, not like some people where they'll do something and they'll go after it, you know, at all costs. It's tempered and it's been tempered by living here, which I think makes me quite balanced. That's interesting. I mean, you, you're obviously quite focused in what you do. So, I mean, you know, shortening degree times and things like that and knowing what you want. And where does that come from? Oh, coffee? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, I'm right up there. Don't worry. <laughs> no, I, that, that just keeps it going. Um, I, I don't know because, you know, I have plenty of stories about uh, my parents you know, doing things, but mm, there's, there's a whole story that I tell from stage uh, about my dad putting his writing career on hold to do a sensible thing like going into education, and he only started writing again and he retired. So I have no idea the parallel universe where he would have just said, no, I'm going to be a writer, and I have no idea how that would have turned out. Where does my focus come from? I mean, you know, education was important in our family, but not, no, not so much pressure, so much as just, you know, opportunities. Um, I was very lucky, one of my early mentors. So when I started work, uh, I had a mentor um, who was head of the training department. So I, I, when I finished university, that's another whole story. I didn't do what I'd studied. I had to then pivot as they call it now. And, um, and I ended up in a, you know, being a trainer, a sales trainer. And the guy who was running it had been trained by Tony Robbins. And I'm sure everybody's heard of Tony Robbins, I hope, Anthony Robbins. And he was, you know, this was in the 1980s. I know, I'm older than I look. Um, <laughs> so he was uh, sharing this with us and we developed a whole goal setting process. I was 23. So I got my hands on some really, really good personal development content in my early 20s. And I, I, you know, I have to reflect back and think, yeah, that was a pivotal time. That, that was kind of a defining moment where I could have thought, oh, you know, I already have my work, I have my, my marriage, as it was, um, you know, can I be bothered to take on all this extra stuff? It, stood me in very good stead, Pete, because when I came over here to the UK, it's one of the things that I did and still do. I'm still involved in personal development. Um, and I ended up going through all of the Tony Robbins programs, became a senior leader with them. I'm still uh, in the team, but I don't tend to support that many events because my businesses took off so much that it's really you know, hard to take a week or 10 days out um, for live events. Maybe now I'll get back involved with it being virtual. That'd be great um <laughs> so that was i would say you know tony's amazing he's the number one personal development guru expert whatever you want to call him uh he's brilliant you know i've, I've met him many times and and you know honestly believe that uh, my life was changed because i was one of the millions of people who have had their lives changed by him so yeah where does the focus come from probably that as well that's awesome because I mean you, you've put yourself in a position to be to be exposed to that and, and push yourself forward there really as well. Yeah. yeah, I mean I guess people go to they, you know they might listen to one of his programs. Um, everything's you know online now, or they might attend something or you know virtual or in person. 
but they don't always do the hard work. Um, and you know, you have to ask yourself at every step, am I willing to do this? Am I willing to make this sacrifice? I mean, the very first event, I don't know if you know about Tony's events, but the very first time you go, you're up till, you know, midnight, one o'clock, two in the morning, you know, and, and that's just because, you know, he will keep going until he has the result and that people in the room have the result, I should say. And um, that was something, I mean, I always kind of went to bed at a normal time. And so you start to expand your ideas and you, some people will be like, I'm not doing this. I need my sleep <laughs> or I'm not doing, you know, I'm not uh, going on the, the, health the nutrition plan that he suggests because you know I like my cake so I don't know there's a lot yeah I, I I think every single person is born with the ability to do the hard work to make the tough decisions to make sacrifices to to change their lives or improve their lives and you know continuous improvement is there for all of us and it's a series of decisions that we make every single day, multiple times a day. And, and I did really learn that at the cold face, you know, at Tony's events and from the man himself. Um, it's a choice. And some people choose to have the easy life, the lazy life, what I did once I was exposed to, you know, the expanded thinking, I couldn't go back. It's, it's like the, the rubber band stretched to the point where it won't go back. You can't unlearn what you've learned. Right. Well. Some people try, <laughs> they ignore it, or they think I've learned that, but you know what? I'm not willing to do what it takes. I mean, mm. that's what it is, right? I mean, I, I don't do too much goal setting coaching now. I, I still can do it because I've got the methodology that I brought from the States, from you know, my mentor, and, and it's rewarding. I don't have time at the moment to do extra stuff. But the one thing about goal setting step six out of seven in, in the, the methodology that I use is decide if you're going to commit and pay the price. I mean, and if you say no, that's fine, but decide, don't say I'm going to lose weight, you know, and keep saying that for 14 years and never do anything, decide and say, you know what? No, I like being a fat couch potato. That's just, you know, and that you'll feel more authentic and, and, uh, well, just whatever you're going to feel. <laughs> it's, it's so true. I, I've been to multiple of Tony's events and, uh, you know, and for me, that's kind of where Fire in the Belly came about and that, Ooh. you know, you, um, you sort of not making a decision is a decision. It might be an unconscious one, but it is a decision, you know, it's saying, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, run the marathon. Uh, never Life. signed up. I didn't buy the shoes. <laughs> I didn't do that. So it's, yeah. that's okay. But we, instead we beat ourselves up, right? Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, when you get to a certain age, I'm a bit older than you, but, I, you know, you, you realize that lying to yourself is kind of pointless. You know you're lying. I mean, other people may not. You could be really, you know, clever and fool people, mm. but you know if you're lying to yourself. And so that creates that inner conflict, and, and that is a real waste of energy. And I don't like waste, mm. and I love energy, so... Wasting energy is, is like a sin in my book. <laughs> Tell me, what, what were you going to be originally when you grew up? Uh, well, the word 
in the 1970s was actress. It's now called actor, of course, yeah. politically correct. Um, but yeah, I, <laughs> I just wanted to be on the stage and on TV and, and, you know, and I've done both, but not as an actor or actress mm -hmm. or, you know, just, um, that's quite yeah. a switch then from, I mean, seven year old, you describe yourself as a shy child and then bang, you want to, <laughs> you want the limelight. You might be surprised or maybe not at how many actors are actually very shy, introverted, you know, their, their hmm. natural personality and the way they come alive is on the stage or with the camera on them. Because I, I think, and, and I've heard other experts say that they, this is why they get into it so that they can actually have a kind of um, alter ego and, you know, be someone else who's not shy and introverted. Um, I, I'm not, I'm no longer shy and introverted. I, I, <laughs> I just um, decided at some point that I didn't need to pursue acting as a career to fulfill my dreams. Not only that, but dad said, you're not studying that. Um, so I didn't go to, <laughs> to performing arts school. And it was the right decision at the time. I wasn't so sure. but mm. um, And of course, I could have gone back to it at any time. But it, it was just one way of fulfilling the, the dream. And um, I think that's another message that, you know, I work with clients and, and, you know, I have these discussions with friends. There isn't just one way to fulfill your dreams we get fixated on things. So this is, you've studied personal development, Pete, you know what I mean? You can get too focused mm. and, you know, really too stubborn about something. And there's another approach as Tony says, or there's another way or there's another, you know, goal that is, is going to give you the same amount of satisfaction, but um, we become too entrenched in one possible only one possible path to that goal and that's a shame so i think you know having the the ability to to be divergent in your thinking and to see possibilities is one of the the skills that the top skills needed today and um you know and when i when i speak to young people in schools that's one of the things that i talk about is uh, you know being open and understanding and recognizing when you're not being open and the balance between having a goal and being determined um, and being fixated on something where it's actually going to hold you back and make you feel upset. So finding a way. And through your, through your college, I mean, you mentioned a sort of a, a speed wobble through your, through your college time and you sort of came out with something different than you went in with. I mean, hmm. what was, was that just, uh, well, tell me what, what happened or what was the, <laughs> what was the thought process? Well, I studied linguistics because I do love language, written, spoken, and I had an ear for foreign languages. Uh, so I had studied Spanish from the age of nine. I uh, went to Argentina, as I say, um, where I became fluent and studied French from the age of about 12, 13. And then when, when I went to university, I took on Latin Italian and German, as you do. Um, and <laughs> linguistics was, you know, encouraging me to look at language and, and how it's set up and the rules and that, that, you know, that's really the science of language, which I liked. So I like science as well. And this helped me put together a few things that I liked. But the natural um, progression for somebody who does a linguistics degree 
uh, is typically either you're going to be a translator, interpreter, translator. So I did one advanced course in that and thought, oh, too much pressure for me. Uh, or applied linguistics, so um, language teaching or speech therapy. You know, these are the, the kind of practical outcomes. So I applied to do a master's in, um, I actually, I don't think I sent off the application. Speech therapy was the thing I was going to do. And something, I can't remember if I applied or not. All I know is I dropped out of that process and thought, hey, I don't want to stick my fingers in someone's mouth. I, I just, you know, that was my thing. <laughs> and I, it just didn't give me the fire in the belly, to be honest. So then I was leaving with this degree and no practical outcome with it. So I did what a lot of people do. I went into sales where, you know, you can have a bit of fun and, and especially, you know, in the 1980s, um, let's just leave that. And we had, uh, I had, you know, a fantastic time with two or three different companies. It's fun. It, you know, people might think, oh, sales, oh, rejection. But once you learn a process, and then as I ended up teaching that process, it just becomes a bit of a game and games are fun, or they're supposed to be. Um, so my linguistics came in handy because in between jobs, I have taught French, Spanish, and English as a foreign language um, to adults and kids. I have um, managed translation projects. I haven't done them because that's not what I want to do, but I have a, a let's just say an a, appreciation for the skill that goes into all these different things. And, and I just love language. I, <clears throat> German and I, uh, don't have a great relationship, um, but it's because of the articles and and the declensions and the, the, the yeah, but I, I just couldn't get the you know, das. I wasn't willing to do what it takes to go back to what I was saying before. Of course, I could have memorized all that stuff, but I, I just, that was my fifth language and I thought, you know what, no, I want to do something else. Japanese I picked up instead, um, honestly. I, I will always love language and I will speak Spanish or French anytime I get a chance. And I, I feel well, this is something that I haven't explored, but I really feel that we have different aspects of our personality. And a language is not just language because it is cultural references and that, you know, without getting into too much, but if anybody is interested in languages, they're getting something else. Not just, it's not just words coming out of your mouth because I know I have a different personality when I am speaking Spanish. I mean, I, I speak with my hands quite a lot, as you may have noticed, keep it kind of under control. But when I'm speaking Spanish, oof, <laughs> the sky's the limit. And French, my face is in a different position when I'm speaking French, and that does something to your muscle memory. And I, I know there's something there. And if I felt like doing a PhD, that's what I would do it in probably, possibly. I have too many other interests, but that, that fascinates me you know, do you have a different personality or, or you know, a different soul? <laughs> I used to say I have, a, I have a Latin soul and nobody knew what that meant except uh, other people who were bilingual in English and Spanish. <laughs> that is interesting. I mean, I was going to ask, I mean, do you have a default language that resonates most strongly with you? Spanish is my second language. Um, English was my native language. So you're, you've always got one native language unless you were born in a truly bilingual household but that that's never even true because there's always one dominant language you know it, i've got 
German friends and other friends who, you know, they speak that language to their kids, but the kids are exposed to lots of other languages. And one is always going to be the one that the kids gravitate to. Um, I tried to teach my kids Spanish. This is before they understood the importance of languages. They didn't want to know. And I would start speaking Spanish and they would say, no, 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 which is a Spanish word. So, you know, we got somewhere. But um, <laughs> then it wasn't until I laid out the Skittles and the M&Ms in colors. And I said, when you say the color in Spanish, you can eat it, you know, that that got some results. Uh, but yeah, some people um, are interested. Some people just have a natural flair. Some people get a belief in their head that they're not good at languages, but that's the same as a belief that I'm not good at dot, 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 whatever. You know, I, I, I can't stand it when people say I'm not good at, and I, and I catch myself when I say I'm not good at, because there's a few things that, well, I'm not good at those, but I know why it's because I didn't persevere. But anyway, that's another story. Yeah. My husband would tell you my big excuse. <laughs> if you smile nicely, I'll tell you what happens in our household. <laughs> uh, want me to tell you go for it so look i'm i'm all about words i'm all about language as we've been talking about i said i talk with my hands but i haven't spoken about you know using my hands to do anything practical or kinesthetic or you know 3d spatial you know there's a, and all those kind of words i'm fond of saying i'm not spatial i'm not visual i'm not you know we walked into this house where we are, and you can't see it anyway because it's a nice background, but um, there was so much potential to do an extension and to you know change this and change that. And my husband, he, this is what he studied, and his brain works this way, visual, spatial. And he, he walked in and he said, oh, we could do this. We could move the door there. We could do, and he made the mistake of saying, do you see? And I went, no. And, and that, you know, that has come up again and again and again. And I'll just say, I can't see it. And if I can't see it, I can't see it. And you can't force me to see it. And, and you know, I can't force you to speak French. And, and that's how we end every discussion about <laughs> what you're good at and what you're not good at. We just agree to disagree. I know I could have developed that skill, probably still could. But I'm not willing to take time away from other things to do it. I was struck at how kinesthetic your language is. You know, I mean, it's it's there. It's I mean, it's it's all, and it's not even like a soft kinesthetic. It's a hard kinesthetic. You know, which is curious considering the languages and the listening and the the reading and that side. So I was, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. But we have it. We all have everything, don't we? Hmm. The the V A K O F. <laughs> no, whatever. Olfactory and the taste one. Yeah. Um, gustatory. Gustatory, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, most people don't lead with gustatory except chefs, maybe. <laughs> but, um, yeah, if you love me, feed me. <laughs> my wife's a bit like that in fairness. If you don't feed her, God, it's like unleashing. Oh, my goodness. But well, for me, story. like the smell brings back memories. And I think mm. for everybody, you know, mm. we have, we can access all of these things. So it's not, you know, I'm this or I'm that or, you know, I'm, a, I'm an auditory, that's stupid. I, I tend to say, of course, with these modalities, if I'm talking to people who know NLP or they've studied it or they're interested, I say, um, I'm primarily auditory. And then, you know, if they don't speak that language, I don't even go there. But I want people to understand the majority of the world is primarily visual. You may have noticed this, and maybe with your 
background and your self-awareness, you, you probably play to that. I, I don't know. But most people, they either don't know anything about that and they've never analyzed you know, their preferences in terms of the modalities or, or they, um, they might be fighting it on a daily basis. Some people are in the wrong jobs and they're not liking it because of something simple like that. Uh, I, uh, I've chosen to do what I love, speaking, writing, helping others speak and write, working with words. So I'm very blessed that I uh, understood it, I, I recognized it, I set my life up in my, pro my profession that way. So everything's in sync, everything's, you know, coherent and, and I'm, I'm happy every day. I have moments, but you know, there's, there's people who really should study that, but that, that's not what this interview is about, I guess. <laughs> No, there's loads. I mean, it's and I kind of have a a base default thing of you know, and you you touched on it earlier. It's like if you don't know your passion, you don't know what your fire in your belly is, yeah. then everything else is just kind of it's like tarmacking a swamp. But it's just like it's not it's not going to last any length of time. It's going to fall apart because uh -huh. your your foundations aren't set. You haven't found your your core purpose. Right. Well, that's a really interesting analogy or metaphor, um, which I will probably remember now for. A while. <laughs> You pictured it, but then you said it, so I heard it. We're good. We we can both access that. Um, yeah, but it's it, it the fire in the belly. I when I started uh, as a life coach because that made the most sense. I had the coaching background from the Tony Robbins stuff in the eighties. I had years of it. I you know I can coach. I enjoyed that bit when you know I asked the questions and people could discover, but. Um, some people need a lot of time with that. Some people need a lot of questions. Some people have such, such hardcore conditioning to, to you know, get rid of. Uh, I, I just, yeah, I wasn't willing to spend so much time doing that. And then, you know, I used to get upset uh, where people let themselves down or said they wanted to achieve something. You would have caught a glimpse of that before when I said, you know, don't lie to yourself. Um, but I didn't understand it back then. And I was like, yeah, but we agreed you were going to do X, Y, Z. And then, then you didn't do it. And I, I, I just, yeah, I wasn't a very good coach because I just wanted to say, look, do this, do that. You know, I, I can see it. And if I see it, I want to say it. And then I want them to do it. And, and that doesn't make a good coach. <laughs> it's always interesting when, a coach, when you go from coach and mentor and when, when your coach wants to slap you, you know, it's like, well... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I have been known to do the timeout and say, can I mentor for a moment or if I'm meant to be coaching, but now I don't even, I don't use the labels or the words. Mm -hmm. um, I use the outcome. You know, people say, what do you do? I don't say I'm a coach or I'm a mentor. I am a, because that, that's not what they have asked. What do you do? I help you get that message in that book out of your head, into print, into the market, and touching lives. Mm. It doesn't matter if I'm coaching, mentoring, guiding, teaching, speaking, whipping. <laughs> you know, don't know where people get that idea, but you know, they, they always laugh and say, is there a whip? Anyway, whatever I have to do, you know, if, if, if they are determined to have that outcome, then I am determined to help and just do whatever it takes. So, yeah, I don't like those labels anymore. I think people get you. The right people get me. 
and I get them. Um, that's the other thing that comes with, you know, maturity, if you want to call it that. A bit of wisdom about who is right for you. I know it's, you know, <laughs> it's been said many times, um, but you want to be aware of the relationships that you have, you know, both personally and professionally, and be with people you like, work with people you like as far as you can. You know, this, some people don't have the choice if they're employed and they're told to work with a, a client and, you know, but when you run your own business, there is no excuse for, um, you know, working with somebody you don't like, being unhappy with the situation, not changing it. Um, my mom wrote a book on my program. We published it. It's a great book for estate agents. Uh, it's called How to Be a Realtor and Still Have a Life. Oh, that's the, the, sorry, it's called Realtor Rescue. The strap line is How to Be a Realtor and Still Have a Life. And one of her chapters is about avoiding toxic people and customers. Mm. And, and just, life's too short. And I learned it from her, maybe, that discerning, mm. you know, we have a choice most of the time. It's quite something, I suppose, with realtors, you're dealing with somebody's, you know, that's their home, that's their cave. Yeah. You know, and they might be forced out of the cave, they might be happy to get rid of the cave. It's yeah. Well, when they're, when they're looking for a new cave, um, they're excited. Well, they're excited when they find a place that they like and they want to put a bid on and stuff. But um, yeah, I think I think people are um, people underestimate the importance of using a good guide, be it a coach, a mentor, a realtor, a, you know, a professional. They can go, oh, okay, this person knows what they're doing. Um, that you know, I'm exactly the same as my mom in that sense. That. I can guide someone, but going back to your question, only if people get that, only if they appreciate the value, if they see that it's you know better, faster, more efficient, more effective, working with someone than trying to DIY everything in your life and business. Um, yeah, that's really what it comes down to. You might find this as well. Some people they just they, they bite you and they you know you you have a, a certain way you want to work. I mean, I'm trying to fit in with this mode i don't normally do such long interviews but we had an agreement didn't we so why would i say oh yeah but no i'm only going to do 40 minutes why would i do that it's not my process you know what works mm -hmm. right? it's interesting it's all for different people you know just curious what's what's a guilty pleasure for you guilty pleasure guilty pleasure sunbathing <laughs> i'm saying this now we i have a bit of color because where possible, I, you know, I look at the weather app, I see what's coming up, I will work, you know, early in the morning or late at night to carve out a couple hours in the middle of the day if it's going to be sunny. I always think it's a shame to work all day. And then, you know, when you have free time, it's dark outside. So this has been, this is real for me right now, because we're going through the heat wave. And, you know, um, and because I haven't been on holiday to a hot place. I mean, you know, nobody has this year. Well, some have, but very few. And um, yeah, the sun generally just oh, soaking it up. I'm lucky my, my skin can take it. Uh, yeah, not, not like us pasty white Irish people. You I know, where... not going to say anything. I'm <laughs> so, just... <laughs> I go white, pink, white. That's, that's, that's about the height of my tanning, you know. But... You be careful. No, seriously, select yeah. that factor 50 on. I mean, I put 15 on and I get color and I'm happy. 
Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've got my hair to protect me, so we're all we're all, oh. <laughs> we're all good. So, I mean, leisure and pleasure for you then. What does that look like? So, you know, we it's different now because um, with my family being in the states, we almost always had for about twenty five years. We went back there for three or four weeks every summer. That was kind of the thing mm. we did. So it was. Um, they get a proper summer, most of the states, and where my parents were outside of New York, you know, so nice weather, being with family, letting the kids spend time with their grandparents, the whole, you know, getting them back to, um, you know, my roots and teaching them about the culture a bit and stuff. That's all, you know, the kids grew up and weren't able to come with us every time. We weren't able to always to take three or four weeks, um, you know, for various things, and and but we always did a lot of that. So we didn't um, do other holidays that some people might do. We went to Cyprus once, uh, one of the Greek islands once, and you know a few little things like that. But city breaks. I think it's just because my husband and I are both interested in history and people and cultures and food, and he's interested in architecture, photography, you know, the visual side of things. Um, and I'll chit chat with people and learn some of the language and, you know, so, but seeing different cities, like seeing as many places as we can. So, you know, I'd prefer to have five or six city breaks rather than. 14 days lying on a beach. That's, you know, I've, we've never done that. I've never been on a cruise. I've never been on a 14 day holiday uh, once, once. Um, I don't like to stay in one place too much. Mm. I like variety, if you haven't guessed. Yeah, no, I mean, it's great. It's great to see, and obviously, the, the variety of languages, the variety of yeah. exposure of different people, and all the rest, you know. I mean, you, just to circle back, because I mean, you talked about, you know, we have a, a default language as such, but. I mean, I know some people are saying when they, they're fully immersed in, eventually they think in a different language after yeah. a long enough period of time. Oh, yeah. In terms of that, I mean, do you think you were actually, you know, because you mentioned there jokingly said, you know, maybe you're sort of Latin bloods, you know, that kind mm. of thing. Do you think there is something there? or do you... Well, um, the three things, again, this is not my content, but I've heard it so many times. The three things that you want to look at to, to see if you really are thinking in another language is um, when you count, if you count things without thinking, do you count, which language do you count in? Which language do you dream in? I don't think I dream with, with words, but you know, that's what people say. And the third one is swearing or cursing. So, and I still curse in Spanish. If something happens, <clears throat> that's what comes out of my mouth and the kids, Funny enough, I said they didn't want to learn Spanish, but you know, that they love the, the swearing expressions. Um, it was fun, you know, where they, Ooh, we're not supposed to be saying this, so let's say it again and again. <laughs> and uh, that, those are the ways in which I knew I was really, truly immersed. I also, when I went to Argentina, I was lucky. I had already studied seven years of Spanish. Uh, the language was good. My accent was eh, okay, but I just said, I'm not gonna speak any English while I'm here for a whole year. And there were about 30, I think, 30 people who went to different parts of Argentina. And we didn't see each other that much or talk to each other. Somewhere in my city, there were two or three. And they wanted to speak in English. I was like, no, <laughs> it's not why I'm here. And in the family and in the school. And I also wanted to, when I was in Argentina, I wanted to 
finish my studies so that I won't lose the year and have to repeat it. I mean, who wants to do an extra year of school? No one usually. So I had to pass all of my exams in Spanish at the end of the year. Oh, bless you. And I wanted to perfect it. I, I was listening and trying to get the accent. And it was so wonderful that in the last few months of my year there, I'd be at a party and someone would say, but what part of Argentina are you from? They would just couldn't tell and they never would have guessed that I was from the States. And I loved that. I just, it's, I guess it's the, you know, the actor, you know, oh, I'm being someone else, you know, but um, it was fun as well. And it was a real achievement. Well, how did we get on to this? I'm so sorry. I can't. No, we're just talking about it in terms of your, your default language, but it's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's, it's so true. And that, you know, and you can see your language, your expression, you're, you're giving a shimmy of the shoulders there, the whole thing, you know, which is great. Cause obviously that's, that's a, that's such a strong resonance for you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't do enough with it, but um, you know, I've, I've got a few businesses to run. I have investors. I have, you know, other shareholders and stakeholders and I, I you know, I can't just do whatever the heck I want. So one of the things that's kind of back burner is doing anything uh, important with language right now. I mean, I had a small chat with someone in Spanish the other day, but yeah, it's always there. And, uh, you know, I have family in Argentina, well, my adopted family. So, um, yeah, they, they, they are, they're understanding, but we're busy. A while ago, you talked about communication being on multiple levels, right? So it's it's not just the words you're using, and, and even you, you mentioned there in terms of dreaming that you don't dream in language. Can you? I don't think I do. I I don't wait. I mean, I do remember my dreams sometimes. You know, less less now than when I was younger. I don't know why that is. Somebody else can come on the show and say why that is. Um, I don't remember specific words, so I don't know if I use language. But I don't remember when I wake up in the morning. Words are not there, mm. and I don't. Yeah, I don't know is the answer. Yeah. You know, you'd have to put electrodes in my head and, and measure it and some, someone else could, you know, figure out. Um, but I use words in my waking life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as we all do. So tell me, you were, you were, I mean, from sales training, you're out of college into sales training and, and well, sales and sales training and moving on. Uh -huh. So what point did Tony Robbins come into all this then? Okay, so <laughs> this is the Steve Jobs Connect the Dots. Um, mm. Yeah, let's join up these dots. I was a sales trainer in an organization where that training function got taken over by a marketing department. I had already started studying for my MBA so that was lucky that I already had a marketing interest. And when I came to the UK, I had already had the exposure to Tony Robbins through the training department marketing, but um, I did more with it. So I did, you know, more reading, more studying, and I did marketing for 15 years. So that was, I think that was pure luck. Um, when I finished and I went self-employed, so when I finished my corporate career, I had more freedom of time as you do. And I chose to do more Tony Robbins events and get very involved. And I think one year I probably did seven or eight events and uh, you know, that was my choice. And I, it was related to my business, my coaching. And when I took um, the coaching business and turned it into the book midwife and decided that I would only coach people with book ideas, then everything came together. Um, books, book marketing, coaching, my 
you know, everything, my whole background. And, and that's, it made total sense to me. I mean, it still does. Um, and it's lovely when you can just discard everything else and say, right, this is what I do. So some people say, oh my gosh, do you do so many things? No, I only do one thing. You know, I, I help people with their clarity, clarity of message, get it in the form of a book, publish it and get it out there and give them an ROI on their IP or their wisdom or their story. So it, it made total sense to me. That's awesome. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, and you say they go hand in hand, you get marketing, the marketing of the person, you know, the, the person has a story, you market the story. Yeah, I can see how they the sort of intertwined really, right? Yep, exactly. And, you know, fair play to anybody who wants to run multiple businesses that have nothing to do with each other, or they need that kind of variety. I think it's helpful to have, you know, the, the companies under our umbrella and, you know, there's always a sister company to help out with something. And, you know, it's, uh, it works for us. Um, <clears throat> some of my team members do work for both companies. Um, and, you know, that's, uh, it just makes things simpler mm. for us. Talk to me a bit about your own sort of internal language and uh, I hate to use the words, but maybe critic here. Do you have an internal critic? Uh, I um, usually say to people, do you, you know, do you hear voices and that generally sort of go, no, I'm not admitting to that, but. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, yeah, if, when I, I'm not doing something as well or as fast as I could be, or it's, it's, you know, if I'm avoiding something, I talk to myself. I've had periods of time where I haven't exercised for months and I've had excuses and, Exercise is a good one because we, we all know that we should move our bodies. And <clears throat> I, I um, trained for a half marathon. You mentioned a marathon before. And I was quite proud of myself. The first one I did, I didn't train very much, but you know, I wasn't my age now. And I did that. And then seven years went by and I thought, oh, I'll do another one. And so I you know, read up a bit more and tried to do a proper training plan for 12 weeks and all of this. And uh, I didn't get the result that I wanted and my knee was, I was carrying more weight than I wanted to. And my knee um, was susceptible to an injury. Well, that was related to me running in a pair of high heels in Brussels, but that, that <laughs> my husband reminds me of the day I heard it, but I think it was already weakened by doing all this stuff. Then of course it was like, I can't run because of my knee. And there were probably many other things I could have done, but I, I saw myself getting into this pattern of excuses. I'm too busy with the business anyway, and blah, blah, blah. And then I got the knee operation, and now I'm recovering from the... I know, honestly, I had every excuse under the sun. So when I look back now, um, you know, I'm not proud of that time. Now, you know, I and running or doing some kind of exercise or at the gym three times a week because that's what I want to do, that's what I choose to do. And I even say in my head, um, because I said I would, that, that's a trending millennial phrase apparently, because I said I would. Um, and that just gets me going. So I'm not sure that the inner critic is actually speaking in words because I, I can't recognize any phrases that it's saying, but it's a feeling that, you're making excuses, Mindy, you're not doing what you should be doing. You know, it's, it's, it's a feeling more than those words. But then the words that I use are the sort of affirmations and statements that I use uh, to counter that. Does that make sense? 
No, it does. It makes total sense, you know. And I'm curious going on and even to circle back, and I know in, in terms of your the TED talk you did, and mm. there's a question I would ask a lot of guests and saying, Do you do you love yourself? Do you like yourself? Do you value yeah. yourself? Yes, yes, and yes. Hmm. But it's a spectrum. You know, could you I mean, I don't know if you think that it's binary, you know, yes or no. I think, you know, each of those is a bit of a spectrum. You know, I, I like lots of aspects about myself and generally you know, I like and love myself and respect, definitely respect myself. Um, but are there times when, you know, I, I'm not true to my values and there's times when I forget about that? Yeah. Um, but, you know, so generally, hmm. you know, whatever, 90% of the time, 95% of the time, yes. Um, and I think even if there's aspects of yourself that you don't like, you're right, this is straight from the TED Talk. Hmm there are aspects of yourself that you want to change loving yourself enough to recognize it and do something about it intentionally and with that self-care you know then you're you're moving forward you're you know we're all a work in progress aren't we Pete? Mm. so you're never there um i mean you can be happy at, with the person you are but if there's things that you want to do or things you want to tweak there's nothing wrong with you for saying, you know what, I'd like to be a little less impulsive. And I have learned to be much less impulsive than I was in my 20s. Or I'd like to learn, you know, not to snap at people. And you can learn that. And I, you know, so that that's, I think that is how you prove you love yourself by being honest and recognizing things that you could improve about yourself deciding you know what i want to do that i want to change that or i'm not willing to do what it takes or, you know but that deciding and then you know changing yourself lovingly forgiving yourself if you make the odd stumble you know when when you're trying out something new can i ask i mean how, how do you fundamentally you know and, and the example of changing something you know and you, you talked about being um you know sort of changing your traits i mean how do you measure or how do you check that it's being done for you and for the right purposes and not so that somebody will be like you more and therefore it's fulfilling an ego purpose or some other alternative purpose how do you sense check it so can i call you out on the judgment in that question please because whatever reason you have is valid for you i'm speaking to the viewers and listeners now mm. it there is no wrong reason if, if, if you want people to like you, there is nothing wrong with that. If you recognize a trait in yourself that you know is, is you know, off-putting to others, there's nothing wrong with you know, trying to work on that trait. And so I, I'm really, really careful, and, and it's your choice, but I, I try not to make people wrong, um, which, which is interesting because it's, it's a fine line between saying, you know, you want to change this thing, but it doesn't mean you're wrong the way you are. That's the distinction. And it doesn't mean that your intention is ever wrong. So I would rather somebody take the time, be thoughtful, you know, I mean, that, that, that's what I work on every single day is, is thoughtful leadership and thoughtful leadership and management of yourself and your thoughts. Because recognizing that, you want to do something different 
and then choosing to do it and then taking the action, you know, that, that, that's, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing. So I'd rather focus on that and, you know, appreciating that we are a work in progress and life is, is just a series of, of trial and error and successes. I have two questions and, and you brought it up there in terms of what is thoughtful? <laughs> oh, right. That's the first question. Okay. That's the first question. <laughs> so. so the reason why I started using the word thoughtful and especially the term thoughtful leadership is because thought leadership, which is what I was speaking about in 24 Karat Bold, and, a lot, and the term was becoming more well-known, it was starting to become abused, in my opinion. So people would just throw the term around, oh, thought leadership, or, you know, we're doing thought leadership. I mean, that, that phrase really <laughs> doesn't resonate with me. We're doing thought leadership, yeah. Um, and then the people who would just say, I'm a thought leader, or put that in their LinkedIn profile. And so I began to look at what was wrong with that. I mean, without making people wrong, the trend was wrong because it wasn't achieving thought leadership at all. And I, I arrived at this uh, conclusion that much of what is called thought leadership doesn't have a lot of thought in it. It's people churning stuff out and, and you know, and I'm not a big believer in cheating. And that seems like cheating. Like, let me, let me just crank out an article and call it thought leadership. No. <laughs> your market has to call you a thought leadership and they, they have to call your content thought leadership. So, um, you know, not being willing to leave that bone alone, I just started working on that concept and how can you be more thoughtful with your thought leadership, with your content, with your ideas. And um, a big part of being thoughtful is stopping and reflecting but another big part of it is being honest looking in the mirror and saying you know what that's not good enough it's not original enough it's not exciting or disruptive enough it, it's you know that is the key the, the willingness to look and then being honest about what you see that's where my work has gone and and that is that is why i will talk and talk and talk to people um, to, to help them discover whether they are being honest. So we, we haven't learned to do this. Most people are not self-aware at all. And we have all these things going on in society. But if you can look at your own stuff and have a higher standard for yourself and then decide if you're willing to go for that higher standard or not, if you're willing to go for it, you can end up being a thought leader because you've been thoughtful. So that's how I put the two things together. Essentially, you're almost comparing the two words, and I notice on your on your book cover there, you you sort of almost the speech bubble, the full is part of kind of um, is highlighted on its own mm. to be separate, but also together. Yeah, oh, I mean that that's one of our designers. Um, <laughs> we're, you know, I. I I'm not going to say it. <laughs> Let's just say I allow others to use their visual skills um, and I appreciate and, and acknowledge, you know, how people can add to my words. Yes, it's, you can be a thought leader um, and usually, and what it takes nowadays, I think, is more thought. Therefore, I think what's more important is being thoughtful in both senses of the word. Mm. Because, you know, you've got the heart, 
oh, that's so thoughtful. We need more of that for sure. And also, you know what? Let me just be thoughtful. Let me, let me think about that thing a little bit more than I was going to, or a little bit more than the next person, because it's necessary. Mm. It's funny, isn't it? Because it's the perception of language. I mean, you could look at that, and, and I, I must say, I love pulling words apart as well, and sort of all the connotations, the permutations of it, and you know, because it'd be you're th- you're full of thought, therefore you're thoughtful, and I don't know. Depends where yeah. you go. Well, where, where my where my stuff goes is what do you do with it? You know, do you put enough thought into the things that you're putting out into the world? Mm. Do you put the right amount of thought? And and you know, you you can get help. There there are you know, processes that are available here and elsewhere to help people with their thinking. Again, we're not necessarily taught to think through things to the level that is now required. We're in a bit of a soundbite society we're in a bit of a um surface level uh lack of attention span situation (laughs) trying to be polite but you know your thoughts are never going to come out in a series of tweets the way they would in something that is more substantive that has had more thought put into it I'm curious. Does that does that actually so in terms of your your clients, your avatars, your you know your, your who you work with? I mean, are these kind of traits of people that you sort of like to work with, or do you I have like, a preference? <laughs> I like to work with people who are willing to open up, have a look in the mirror. Like I was saying before, they may not know how to do the kind of thinking. In fact, most don't. But it's about the attitude. It's about that when they look and they think, I'm not willing to put a book or a speech out there that isn't saying something new. I'm not willing to be a me too. I'm not willing to, you know, just do something for the sake of it or add to the noise. If they have that intention, they don't have to know how. That's why the experts exist. That's, That's why I do what I do. Then we work together very, very well. I'm never going to be the expert on their topic or subject and I don't want to be, and they don't want me to be, and then they don't need me to be. But how to refine those ideas, how to find those angles, how to bring something truly new and interesting and original into the world. You know, that, that's what people need because the same old, same old, you know, it's, it's not working. We've got lots of problems in our society. So um, yeah, that, that's, I, I like working with positive people who think, you know what, I really do want to make a difference, but they are not going to do it just doing the, what everybody else does. How, how do you respond to like, I mean, there's sort of comments and people say there's no such thing as an original thought anymore. Uh, I don't think that matters. I, I think there is always... A, an authentic way to put something across. There is always a new angle. There is always an insight. And there are always those people who never heard the idea before. So when you say it, it's new to them. You know, people say, oh, you know, it's been said, it's been done. And that stops a lot of people, by the way. Mm. My view is your particular book, let's, let, let's take the book, because the book Midwife is our best known brand. Your book has never been said or done. Your content, your stories, your insights that came, your strings of words, 
you know, that has not been seen. And uh, I'm fond of saying there are a lot of how to build wealth and how to get fit and lose weight kind of books. And yet when a new one comes out, what do people do? They buy it. Why? Because they still are trying to get to that goal. So there's room for your message and your book. There is room for your take on the world. There is definitely, um, <laughs> I, I have a talk that, that um, I've been known to do where I'm, I just say to people, don't look, don't compare, don't, don't even look, just run your race. You know, that there's no need to worry about what else is out there. And the more you look, actually, this, this is, you know, the content in The Thoughtful Leader. Um, the more you look, the more you do start to do what they call compare and despair. Don't look. Don't even look. And then you can keep yourself in your bubble and you'll be surprised that you do actually have original ideas. So, you know, we don't worry about that stuff here. You're, um, I was going to ask you about leaders, but it's probably too boring a question. I'm, I'm more curious, really. You... So your first book was a was a ten year process, and and that was there was there was a lot tied to that, right? Yeah. Talk to us about book two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. You know what that process it appears has accelerated, or has it? You tell uh, me. Yeah. Well, let me let me chat with you instead of chatting about my books because you know that's just me. Um, we've had a thousand people go through the book midwife programs, and what they have found is with a process that they're willing to plug into and with a few hours a week. So we do a 90 day program, three months, they can get their whole book done because it's got focus because it's, it's, you know, part of a process and the method we use has been improved over the years and it's, it's been tried and tested. Uh, we've won something like 17 awards or won and been finalists. It works. It's all about, it's all about being, efficient and you know like with anything if there's a process stick to it if, if you know if you're looking at a recipe follow it <laughs> don't start changing things it's not going to come out the same so you know that that's what we do here um i'm very very proud of the book midwife methodology it, it's you know it's changed things for people who were at risk of never writing their book taking too long or ending up with something that wasn't quite right in, in so many different ways. Um, we take care of all of that. And it's all about being intentional. It's all about being thoughtful. And it's about following a proven process. I think that's what you asked. No, absolutely. And, and I mean, is it, you know, it's a bit like when they say when you're building a house or designing a house, your third one's your best one. Is that the case, is that the case with, um, with books? I never heard that, you see? There's always someone who has never heard something. Uh, so no, not necessarily, because some, some people, most people will only ever write one. Okay. So the phrase we use at The Book Midwife is make sure it's the best it can be. Mm -hmm. Give yourself a better chance, because um, if you are only going to write one book in your lifetime, which many people will just write one, you want it to be the best it can be so it can have its best chance in the market. Those are the two things that drive our companies making sure it's the best it can be. And that has lots of different aspects to it. You know, the right length, the right content, the right balance, the right style, the right tone, the, you know, so many things. And giving it its best chance in the market, which starts at the planning stage. So I 
really want to work with people before they write their book. I don't know why they think a midwife comes in right at the end, maybe because the metaphor, you know, she's not always there in the bed with you <laughs> at conception time. Uh, but since we are, then we do the fertility clinic as well. Um, so, you know, that, that's exhausting the metaphor, but working with someone right from the beginning means that we can have some input and help with the ideation, with conception, the concept, with, you know, the structure, the framework, the outline, the format, the, you know, you're not on your own. Um, a lot of people struggle and they think, well, let me write my first draft and then bring someone in. We won't touch it. I won't even look. So this, this is where um, I'm not being disruptive for the sake of it, but I am talking about something that makes more sense, something that saves more time. I mean, why would you want to go about something that way? Why would you want to build the house and then bring the architect in to you know, see if you've done it right? <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we're very firm on that point. There's only one, I'll only do one session with someone who's already written their book, and, it, and it's, it's, it almost always ends up with a lot of, oh, you know, you, you need to shorten this, lengthen that, expand this, research that, move this, blah, 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 blah. And then it's not fun for anybody, especially us. Want to work with somebody when it's a blank sheet and all possibilities are still open to them that's when i do my best work and anybody who is planning a book you know that could be their only book well, why wouldn't they want that kind of input and help and guidance right from the beginning so you've you've got right to the heart of the book midwife mission and and values you know let us hold your hand all the way from conception to the birth. I love that. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And, and, and I love that the passion you you sort of conducted there during that, you know, I really sort of got a sense of flow. And, and that's what I was going to ask you in terms of what, where is your flow state? What's, what gets you, what gets the juices flowing and you at your, your best? That, the word possibility. I heard myself say it. When I say it, I, I expand. I mean, like, imagine that you had unlimited and infinite possibilities available to you in whatever you're doing. So, you know, if you're watching this, you may not want to write a book. Fair enough. But imagine that for your next career move or your next project, or imagine that all possibilities would still be open to you. That is very exciting because I'm an expansive, open kind of person I'm, I'm you know that that gets me going I don't like shutting things down except when we're making decisions about the book we say it's going to be this and not that you know we are closing off but when we start all possibilities are still open that's the time to engage on any project that's the, the time to bring in a professional and engage that person and, and follow their lemon process if they've set one up don't fight it don't try to reinvent the wheel um you know you you can stand on the shoulders of people who've gone before and like i say we've worked we, we have honed it over the years but a thousand people have gone before and it's very slick and very very good what we do so thank you for asking about it no, absolutely. I mean, I was just wondering, is, is it like, uh, you know, people's children, you know, and I have my own kids, you know, everyone's convinced that their child is beautiful and, and the most special in the world. Is, uh, is a book well, similar? I mean, let me think of that analogy because I think it's kind of like, 
you know, it takes a village to raise a child. Mm, so okay. you, there's always other people involved, you know, a, a grandparent or whatever. So if you take advice from the grandmother, so in, in one of my children, I won't say which, um, <laughs> was not sleeping very well um, and, and just was a bit cranky. And my mom said, put them on, the, on their tummy. I said, oh, no, 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 we're not allowed to do that. My mom said, for goodness sakes, this is like, you know, centuries old, millennial old wisdom. And it was like a miracle. And, you know, make sure the head is to the side. I mean, this is what we do. Please, I'm not giving any parenting advice. Don't, you know. But well, <laughs> um, it, it was a blissful sleep. It, you know, it was a blissful time for me as well, you know, knowing that they were sleeping so well. Um, so I listened to someone else who had experience. That, that's a very simple um, example. I don't know why it came into my head. Probably because I'm talking about babies and midwives and <laughs> stuff like that. Um, yeah, so you think your child is beautiful. If you've written the book yourself, you, you're, you're not going to listen to someone else. But if you've, you know, brought someone else into the experience um, and, and, you know, you both respectfully listen to each other, then, you know, you can get a better result. You know, your child can sleep well. Your, your book can be even better. You know, your, your meal can really shine. Well, that makes a lot of sense and i think respect is a very strong word too it's you know there's no right there's no wrong it's just it is you know and that's okay well we're right we're usually right when we have advice about a book <laughs> i mean I, I don't force anyone to do things but i have words that i use as, you know like i strongly recommend you know and if i'm publishing it then we have to approve the title and various things like that Sure, sure. No, it makes a lot of sense. You mentioned the word proud there, and, and I, can I just ask, I mean, what, what, what sort of standout proud moments do you have in your life? I'm proud. I'm proud of setting up my businesses. I'm proud of when I was in corporate, uh, set up a new function, a, a call center that saved the company a million dollars and had 26 people in work and, you know, fantastic work that we did. I'm very proud of my kids who were you know, fully grown in their 20s, um, each one pursuing their own passions. I'm, I'm proud of sticking to my values. Um, even when it's hard, you know, that there's times like I was talking about clients that you don't want to be working with and it might not be toxic per se, but you just have a feeling. And when I've not been tempted to just say, Oh, but they're offering me money and said, I don't think it's a good fit. And other times when I followed my values. So when I've, you know, giving myself nutrition and exercise the way I want to and, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, the, the, the song, you know, what have you done today <laughs> to make you feel proud? I really do think about it every day. Well, I don't think about it, the song, but I think, you know, every day, just look back and say, what have I done today to make me feel proud? Um, so it's, it's not the huge achievements. It could be the little ones as well. Mm. No, it's great. I mean, it's, 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 it's so true that actually we, we sort of recognize as well what we're doing and how we're doing it. So you mentioned values there. What, what are your standard values? Um, I think I'm talking about uh, growth. I'm talking about openness, um, you know, being, being real with people, being real with yourself. And honesty, I guess you could call it, integrity, authenticity. There's so many 
words around it, but that's the concept. Mm. And growth for me is being willing to learn something new, change something, recognize and then change something about yourself, enhance your life or someone else's life. Um, yeah, enhancement and just intention, you know, caring, being thoughtful. Mm. Those are my top values. And if we were to sort of pin a superpower to you, or you were to we were to stick a, a cape on on you, what what would be your superpower? Encourager. I um, there's something called the core process, which uh, is another one of those tools that I can work with, but don't tend to do it now. Uh, but my own core process is encouraging spirit, and I like that phrase because I I know how we arrived at it. And I like to think I am an encouraging spirit, but my work is all about encouraging the spirit of something. So core process means it, it runs through you, your life, everything you do, you know, it's, it's core to you. So I know that's my core because, you know, that, that just feels, I can feel it to my core. <laughs> uh, encouraging spirit. Mm. Mm -hmm. Are you, are you, Good. I mean, you sort of you talked about almost referring back to your core and who you are. Are you good to at connecting to yourself and understanding yourself? I would say so. Mm. I, I think so. Um, Does that come naturally, or something you have to work at for you? Hmm. I think I've learned it through all the personal development work. It comes naturally now, hmm. but it's something that you know. I think you need to practice, and you also need. You know, as I've been saying so many times um, in an interesting theme today about catching yourself, recognizing something, and then choosing to change it or not. But that's, that's the bit. So being honest about your skills, whatever. I don't call them strengths and weaknesses because you could work on anything and make it stronger. But it's, it's about your behavior. And I think that that's the area where people really do need to become more self-aware. Mm. And uh, I'm quite self-aware. I'm, I'm really good at recognizing when I get it wrong, you know, apologizing in the right way. And, the, you know, one time I got um, hundreds of likes on a public apology to one of my team members. I just, it occurred to me that I got it very wrong. And I, I don't even know if I sent a personal message first. I know I went on Facebook and said, you know, and here's why I'm sorry. And that, and I really, and um, people were like, wow, you know, but why don't we all do that? And it just made me feel great, made them feel great. And it was, you know, something that I think, because it was so rare, people were surprised to see that. That's just one example of when mm -hmm. you really get it wrong, recognizing it, correcting it quickly, you know, not being too proud. I don't think I'm too proud to, you know, admit anything um you know I, I, I it's just me so i don't put on airs uh I, I, I don't like things are not perfect um i don't try to pretend to be perfect because you, you can't is, is there a certain ethos or mantra then that you try to live to in terms of because you know you mentioned this so much but you come back to a core well i do believe that I'm blessed with a lot of energy and that I choose to share it with others. So I call it abundant energy. And before I called it positive energy. So let's call it 
abundant positive energy <laughs> and uh you know that's one of the things that, you know I, I would like to inspire others but i can't control whether they feel inspired or not but one thing i can control is my energy and how i share it so that's one thing and another important strand is encouraging others to live their life to be themselves and and you know to find a way to live their truth um, speak their truth that's our work but live their truth mm. so that's so so important um because otherwise you know you go through your whole life and if you've never lived your truth oh my gosh how sad is that mm. it's fine that question i mentioned earlier about whether you like yourself and you love yourself i mean it's scary and those that don't make it on the podcast and you know there's there's people i'd mentor and stuff it's scary when you the answer you get is no and oh. people that people that just don't like okay. themselves yeah no I, I do know that i wasn't mm. thinking about that i was i was you know thinking about your last question but um i still think that all possibilities are still open and if they are willing and and open to it then they can learn to mm. like themselves, be proud of themselves, respect themselves. I really believe that. It's never too late unless, you know, you're dead. Absolutely. Um, funny, I've got this picture in my head and I have a dancing ape who's the abundant positive oh. energy. Oh, oh. A -P -A -P -E. really nice. I know my name is Gibbons Klein, but still, come on. No, <laughs> no it's the abundant positive energy. So the oh. acronym came into play. So a monkey, a monkey, not an ape. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell me what's what's a really juicy word for you because i mean obviously you're, you're a ling linguistic sort of a person you know and there's certain mm. words and standards word i can't just pick one how can you do this to me I'm trying to think of a word i mean i i use the word amazing a lot but so do a lot of people mm. um i like the word abundant as you have recognized I don't, I can't pick one. I'm, I'm sorry if you were expecting one word, but I so many. <laughs> I know it's great. I mean, it, it's that sort of love of words too, that you see so many that, you know, it's, no, it's, it's certain words seems to stand out for people. No, I, I don't think so. Um, you know, possibility. If you think of the words that have come up the most during the time we've been talking, mm. abundant possibility and energy. Mm. That's awesome. So tell me, what's, you know, fire in the belly for you? If you were, what's your fire in the belly? Summarize one or two words. What, where would we be going? What, what is your answer? Living your truth, speaking your truth and living your truth. I mean, they, they, they're not really different. Some people live their truth and they are not explicitly speaking it so that they, they don't speak, blog about it, write books, or, but they're still living it. Some people really need to express themselves. So then it's speak your truth because, you know, they, if you have something to say and you're not saying it, you know, find a way, find, find, just, you know, decide if it's really important and find a way to do it. Mm -hmm. So if you have a last thought is, is, I mean, what, what do you want people to take away from, from interacting with you, from hearing you? I mean, what's, What's the lasting message? Be thoughtful in every sense of the word because learning to, yeah, I have a very interesting way of speaking. I know I do. I know I pause a lot. And it's because I trained myself not to say, um, uh. I think it's also because I'm thoughtful in between 
my words, my sentences. Just slow down, stop, think, reflect, give yourself that gift. Choose how you want to be. Choose to work on anything you want to work on for any reason. And then go for it. And if you need help, it's available. There's, there's coaches for every single possible thing in the world. But give yourself that time to reflect, choose, and then go. Mindy, there's so much there. So I, I thank you for coming on. So tell us, I mean, how can people follow you, track you, hunt you down, stalk you, get in touch with you? Ah, so most people remember book midwife. That's an easy phrase. So book midwife on Twitter, Instagram, bookmidwife.com, bookmidwife, Facebook, everything. The, the books are there. They've been there the whole time. And 24 Karat Bold is the first one to read if you haven't read any of my books. But because my name is kind of long, Mindy Gibbons Klein, and people can spell it, you know, lots of different ways, including Gibbons, like the monkey, I've created uh, a bit of uh, an alter ego, Mindy GK. So MindyGK.com and Mindy GK on Twitter and Mindy GK everywhere else. You'll find me and that's kind of an umbrella that's a hub. So one of those things, just find me, just connect. I have a very open attitude about connecting. I'm always happy to answer a question. I will be delighted to get to know you and help you in any way I can. Andy, it's been an absolute pleasure and thank you for sharing so much and uh, we look forward to hearing more from you. Thank you. It's been a delightful experience. <laughs> Take care. Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without our great guests taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy, boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.